It was William Marshall who wrote, to carry care to bed is to sleep with a pack on your back. That is true. There was a woman who was perpetually scared and frightened and apprehensive and anxious about the possibility of a burglar getting into their home while they slept. Almost every night she would express this worry and concern to her husband, and uh, it really interrupted her sound sleep often. On this one particular occasion, the husband heard someone in the house while they had retired to bed, and he got up, and sure enough, there was a burglar. And the the husband said to the man, I'm so glad to meet you, sir. Please, I want to introduce you to my wife. Took the man to meet his wife and said, she's been waiting to meet you for over 10 years now. When we take care uh, with us to bed, we sleep with a backpack on. And anxiety and worry is not the normal Christian life. It is something that we can have victory over. And the passage before our attention this morning can give us real help. We're going to see three things in our passage in 1 Peter 5. 6 through 14 this morning. We're going to see three things all about God. The first thing is God is mighty. The second thing is God is caring. And third, God is the source of all grace. So if you're setting some pegs to hang ideas on as you listen to this sermon, the pegs are as follows. God is mighty, God is caring, and God is the source of all grace. Now the good news is, The passage goes on to tell us that if we will be mindful of these things, if we will believe, in fact, that God is mighty, God is caring, and God is the source of all grace, then it will put a stop to worrying. Worry? Do you worry? Battle worry? Get an understanding this morning that God is mighty, God is caring, and God is the source of all grace. Not only will it stop worrying if we understand these things properly, but it will help us to stop giving into temptation. Want to stop having a pattern of giving into temptation? Then understand afresh your God is mighty, your God is caring, and your God is the source of all grace. Now let's get into this a little further. One of the best antidotes to worry is knowing God. Look at verse 6, 1 Peter 5, please. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you at the proper time. So what we want to see from this verse is that when we worry, it ought to be a wake-up call that we are failing to see God as being as mighty as he truly is. When I am fretting about things, it ought to send off a siren in my brain that I have diminished the might of God in my understanding of it. When you find yourself beside yourself in constant looping of thinking, of worrying, it should be an alarm that you would wake up to see that God is mighty, mightier than you are thinking as you worry. God, in fact, is omnipotent, omni, all, potent power. God is all-powerful. 
the God you've come to worship together with other believers with this morning in this place is all powerful. He possesses all the power that is to be had in his universe, which he created by the word of his mouth. God spoke into existence. He's so powerful that the triune God spoke into existence the universe as we know it. He's that powerful. That is a wonderful truth to get a hold of. Verse 6 again. Humble yourselves. Notice that's an act we do to ourselves. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God. Why? That he may exalt you at the proper time. God will lift those of us who choose to humble ourselves in the cognizance, in the awareness, in the remembrance that he is almighty. That's how we can humble ourselves. We don't have to rush to the beginning of the line. We don't have to financially feather our own nest. We don't have to control everybody what they think of us at work. When we understand the might of God, then we can choose to consistently humble ourselves, knowing that he can and that he will exalt us at the proper time. Now, pressure is true in all of our lives. We have uh, things that press in upon us of a variety of things. Uh, Some of us, it's our children. Some of us, it's our health. Some of us, it's our finances. Some of us, it's our neighborhood uh, relationships. Some of us, it's crime. Whatever that, whatever might be before us this morning. And we have pressure And if we say we don't have pressure, we're deluding ourselves. We have pressure. Let's admit it. Let's be frank. But it was Hudson Taylor, the great missionary statesman, who said something very beautiful and accurate and helpful when he said this, quote, it matters not how great the pressure is. It only matters where the pressure lies. It matters in your life not how great the pressure is. What matters is where the pressure lies. On you, or on Jesus. It matters not how great your pressure is. It only matters where your pressure lies. For those of us, myself included, who had the thought that submarines, because they're airtight, can go to any depth in the sea that they want, that is wrong. Even the most sturdily built submarines can only go to a certain depth. They're built to hold up only to a certain depth. They can't go deeper. Even submarines, atomic submarines that have been designed to be so sturdy that they can break through ice at the North Pole before they submerge in the Arctic Sea. They have a maximum depth. Years ago, there was a submarine known as the Thresher. And it exceeded its recommended depth in the sea. And when the pressure became too great, the seawater crushed the sub's heavy steel bulkheads as if they were a plastic toy model. Searchers eventually could only find tiny pieces 
tiny pieces of that huge submarine on the seafloor. The tremendous weight of the sea had smashed and twisted and disintegrated the strong steel hull of that atomic submarine. That is pressure. But the funny thing is that at the depth at which the thresher was obliterated by sea pressure live fish. And they do fine. At the same depth in the sea that the thresher was crushed, God has made fish that can live there. Do you know why? Because God has made those fish to have within them a resisting pressure that is equal to the outside pressure upon them at the depth. You and I, as Jesus saved children, we have the Holy Spirit of God living inside of us. And as it were, he is exerting pressure out from within us to ward off and to neutralize any pressure that is placed upon us. It's not how much pressure you have. It's where the pressure lies. And so it says again in verse 6, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you at the proper time, casting all your anxiety upon him because he cares for you. That last phrase is so key. It gives us the rationale, the reason, the logic of casting all our anxiety upon God. It's because he's a caring God. He's not just a mighty God. He's a caring God. All the time he is mighty, all the time he is caring. And because he is caring, it makes total sense to obey verse 7 and to cast, how much of our anxiety? All of our anxiety on him. Now, this Greek word, which translates as casting, is not the idea of throwing a stone down the beach. It is instead the idea of dropping off and not returning to. It's like the schoolgirl who comes home on a Friday, a warm Friday near the end of the school year with a backpack. And this schoolgirl doesn't particularly care for homework, although she knows she has a lot of homework that the teacher's assigned for her to do over the weekend. Reading, projects, assignments, etc. It's all in her backpack. What this verse is saying, this Greek word is saying, is to be like a schoolgirl who gets in the door on Friday afternoon and drops her school knapsack and hopes to never see it again for the weekend. Because God is mighty and because God is equally caring, he says to you and me, take your anxieties, all of them, Stuff them in a knapsack and drop them and go on your way. In some cases, that's easily more easily said than done, right? Because maybe you're like me. I will cast all my anxieties in my backpack, as it were, on my mighty and caring God. I'll walk away like it's no longer my issue, but then I'll sneak back. And before I know it, I'm carrying around my knapsack 
feeling what I felt before I cast it off. And I have to say, what am I doing holding this knapsack? And so I come back and I give it back to Jesus. I cast my anxiety, all my anxiety on him. I said, Lord, it's yours. Please handle it because you're mighty. Please handle it because you're caring. Please handle it. Then I walk away. If I go back for it and I'm conscious I'm going back for it, you know what I do? I pat my knapsack in prayer. I just pat it in prayer. I say, God, I gave you this knapsack a half an hour ago, and I'm tempted to pick it up, but I'm going to leave it with you because I cast it off on you because you're a mighty God and you're a caring God, and I can leave it with you. And maybe I have to do that 20 times. I just try to do it 20 times. Humble yourselves, verse 6. Therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you at the proper time, casting all your anxiety upon him because he cares for you. You do know he cares for you. Over lunch, what would happen if you're by yourself? Do it by yourself. If you're with your spouse, your husband, or your wife, do it with them. If you're with your whole family, with your children still at home, or, or with your girlfriend or your boyfriend, if you're a widow or a widower at lunch, and just said, what are five evidences that God cares for me? Let me see. I'll write them down here in this paper. And you write five evidences that God cares for you, and we'll exchange lists. Let's talk about it. God is mighty. And God is caring. It was George Mueller, the great man of faith, 1805 to 1898. He built many orphanages in Ashley Down, England, without a personal salary all of his life. He relied on God to supply the money and the food needed to support the hundreds of homeless children he befriended in the name of Christ. He was a man of radiant faith, and he kept a motto, a motto on his desk, that encouraged him, strengthened him, and comforted him so often and brought confidence to his heart. And the motto on Mueller's desk read, it matters to him about you. It matters to him about you. You could say that to the person on your left or your right. It matters to him about you. Mueller believed that those words captured the meaning of 1 Peter 5, 7, and he rested his claim for divine help on that truth. And he testified at the end of his life that the Lord had never failed to supply all of his needs. The Lord had never failed to supply all of his needs. Audrey Meyer has expressed the truth of this in a text of these words, a poem, quote, Be not troubled with thoughts of the morrow of duties you must surely do. On the Lord cast your burden of sorrow. It matters to him about you. Be not weary when trials are given, but trust him to carry you through. He will make all a pathway to heaven. It matters to him about you. Then be patient until his appearing. Tis dawn almost now on your view. For the mists of this dark age are clearing. In love, he is planning for you. Our God is mighty. Our God is caring. 
And when we get a hold of those things, we can cast all of our anxieties upon the Lord God and not pick them up again, but pat them with prayer. There is a great benefit in unloading our cares on our mighty and on our caring God. It says in verse 8, Be of sober spirit, be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls about like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. The devil is real. He's not a concept. He's not an idea. He's not a genre in literature. He is a fallen angel, but he's also on a leash. We see that very vividly in Job chapter 1, verse 8, when Satan came to God and wanted to mess with Job, God's faithful servant. And God said, you can do anything to my servant Job except you can't kill him. See, God put Satan on a tether. Satan could go no further than what God said and allowed him to do. And it's the same way now. It's like the little boy and his father who went to the zoo. And in the course of seeing the different animals in the zoo, there was a big, mature male lion in a cage, growling and really showing off his strength. And the little boy, he was terrified. No matter what his daddy said, the boy was terrified because all he saw was the lion. But the daddy wasn't terrified over the same lion. Do you know why? Because the daddy saw a lion in a cage. The difference was the little boy didn't see the cage. Sometimes I think that that we can ascribe to Satan more than he's actually doing and see him behind every rock and problem and predicament and challenge and obstacle that we face. Some of my problems have nothing to do with Satan. They have to do with my flesh. I'm saying he's real, and I'm saying he's prowling around seeking whom he may devour. I'm not minimizing him, but I'm saying the text says that when we should be of sober spirit and be on the alert, the devil prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Remember, he's on a leash because we have a mighty God and a caring God. And so we do not have to give in to temptation. It's not sin to be tempted as... I hope you know, but it is a sin to give in to temptation and to sin. Martin Luther said you can't prevent the birds from flying over your head, the temptations, but you can prevent them from making a nest in your hair. And so when we see how mighty God is, when we see how caring God is, we set down our anxieties and cast them onto God, and we do not cave in to temptations. There was a man who was uh, training his uh, dog in a way that I have been very unsuccessful in training our dog. This man successfully trained his dog to be unleashed with a piece of meat within reach and the dog not to eat the meat. Leslie Duncan, who writes about his daddy and this dog they had in their house and the dog's obedience and training, said that the dog never looked at the meat. In this exercise, the master told the dog to sit. The master put the steak on the floor within the dog's reach and said, no, and then stood there. 
And the son who observed the daddy doing this said the dog never looked at the meat. He knew that, he figured, he knew that if he looked at the meat, it'd be too hard not to take it. So the dog just looked right into the face of the master. He didn't look at the meat. If we will not succumb to temptation, we must look into the face of our master. Not at the temptation. Not at the temptation. It's like the man who was wanting to lose weight. And his uh, downfall was bakery goods. And one particular bakery he loved the most. And he had decided he was going on a diet. And for accountability's sake, he told everybody in his workplace that he was going on a diet to lose weight. And he did fine for about three months and he lost weight. And then one day he showed up in the office with a dozen donuts from the bakery. And they said, you know, what's going, man? You're on a diet. You've been doing well. You've been staying away from the bakery. And now what's this? This dozen donuts. He goes, oh, it's the will of God. And they said, the will of God? They said, yeah, yeah, yeah. I was, I was really thinking and praying about the bakery and those dozen donuts. And I asked the Lord if it was his will for me to buy a dozen donuts for this morning's coffee break, that he would give me a parking space right in front of the bakery. I only had to circle the bakery 14 times to see the space. <laughs> Don't. Look at the donuts. Don't look at the meat. Don't look at whatever you put in the blank, whatever tempts you. Don't look at that. Look at the master. Look at his face, and you will never be disappointed. The same master that's mighty enough to handle your backpack is the same master that's mighty enough to give you strength through the temptation. Verse 6, humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in the proper time, casting all your anxiety upon him, because he cares for you. Be of sober spirit, be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls about like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour, but resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same experiences of suffering are being accomplished by your brethren who are in the world. You do know that we are part of a massive family, that we have brothers and sisters in Christ all over the globe. Millions. According to the U.S. Center for World Mission, every day, listen to this, every day, 88,000 persons come to saving faith in Christ every day around the globe. Chicken Noodle News doesn't report that, does it? CNN. Chicken Noodle News doesn't report that. Neither does Fox. 88,000 persons today will come to saving faith in Christ Jesus. Tomorrow, 88,000 roughly people will come to saving faith in Christ. Tomorrow, the next day, the next day, the next day. By the way, are we doing our part to share the gospel? It says that one of the ways that we'll be of sober spirit and on the alert to the schemes of the devil, to ha- one of the ways we can resist him firm in our faith is to know that the same experiences of suffering are being accomplished by your brethren who are in the world. You know what would be a great exercise for me to do this afternoon or this week? To go on my computer and to Google the persecuted church and to read some articles. Do you know it would be a good exercise for me to do this week to go to YouTube and to search the persecuted church 
If you have books, magazines from previous missions conferences that are in your home still, to read them this week as to the stories of God bringing his church through persecution. Remember Stephen Fu? Worked at Bahamar, uh, wants to study theology at Dallas Seminary to be a church planting Chinese indigenous uh, pastor in the persecuted church in China, underground church. I said to him over dinner when he was still in Nassau at our table, I said, Stephen, you feel called to be a pastor in the underground church in China? He said, yeah. I said, Stephen, you realize you could die for doing that? He looked me right in the eye and said, yes, I understand that, pastor. Our God is mighty Our God is caring. We should cast our anxieties upon him because he cares for us. We should be of sober spirit, on the alert, mindful of a devil prowling. We should resist that devil firm in our faith, knowing that the same experience of suffering are being accomplished by your brethren who are in the world. When we understand the might of God, when we understand the care of God. Third, when we understand that God is the God of all grace, then we can stop worrying and we can stop caving into temptations. God is the God of all grace. It says in verse 10, and after you have suffered, I love the next little phrase, for a little while, After you have suffered for a little while, compared to heaven, no matter how long you're suffering with something, it's a little while. You say, Pastor, I've been married to a man that hasn't been very good to me, in fact, very mean to me for 60 years. That's a long time, Pastor. And I would say, yes, sister, that is a long time, but compared to heaven, it's just a blink. Pastor, I've been praying for a prodigal child for 45 years. And he's not returned to the faith. That's a long time. Yes, it is a long time. Sir, yes, it is a long time. But compared to forever and ever and ever in the new heaven and the new earth, it's just a blink. So I don't know what you're facing. I know that you're all facing something. I'm facing something. I don't know what it is, but God who is mighty and God who is caring and God who is the source of all grace knows all about what you're facing. He knows perfectly what you're facing. You don't even know perfectly what you're facing. But he does. Verse 10. And after you have suffered for a little while, the God of all grace, what a beautiful name, the God of all grace, the God who sources everything that is unmerited favor, that God is your God. That God is my God. The God who is the source of all unmerited favor, all the good things that are given to bad people. The God of all grace. Amazing. He is our God. The God of all grace, he provides illuminating grace for every seeker, justifying grace for all believers, strengthening grace for the weak, growing grace for the young Christian, comforting grace for the bereaved, living grace for the daily walk, and dying grace for the end of the journey on earth. This is our God of grace. And after you have suffered, verse 10, and after you have suffered for a little while, the God of all grace 
who called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself, watch it, perfect, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. That is your destiny as a redeemed child of God. Not based on your performance or your righteousness or your effort, but based upon the God of all grace. After all, he's the one who called you to his eternal glory in Christ. You only came to Christ because he called you. And after you have suffered for a little while, the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself perfect, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. God didn't leave that work to his angels. God has given his angels certain tasks to do, and they do them. God didn't leave that off to a delegation to his angels. And after you have suffered for a little while, the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself perfect confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him, to him, be dominion forever and ever. Amen. This whole book, I hope you've retained the theme as we've worked our way through it, that it's living in victory in the face of opposition. Living in victory in the face of opposition, the other title is The Refiner's Fire. And maybe for you, some of you, you're very acutely aware that you're in a fire. You're in a furnace. May you be aware equally that you are being refined, that your faith will come out as gold, tried and proven to the glory of God. Would you stand with me, please? Just in closing the final verses of 1 Peter, I'm simply going to read verses 11 to 14 with you. To him be dominion forever and ever. Amen. Through Silvanus, our faithful brother, for so I regard him, I have written to you briefly, exhorting and testifying that this is the true grace of God. First Peter's truth to this point in the book is truly the grace of God. Stand firm in it. She who is in Babylon, chosen together with you, sends you greetings, and so does my son Mark. Greet one another with a kiss of love. Peace be to you all who are in Christ. Please bow with me. Lord, we thank and praise you that you are the mighty God and the caring God and that you can be trusted when we give you our backpacks of concerns and cares and problems and worries. Help us to leave them with you. And Lord, thank you too that when we understand your might and we understand your care and we understand that you are the source of all grace that we can stop worrying. Deliver us, Lord, from the sin of worrying. Deliver us, Lord, from the habitual sin of habitually worrying. 
let, me, let us leave our backpacks with you. And Lord, in a group this size, there are diverse and many different types and varieties and, and kinds of temptations we contend with. And Lord, for some of us, we've been battling these temptations for a long time. They have become a pattern of life. Lord, I thank you that when we properly understand your might and your care and your grace, that we can look into your face and not at our temptations. That we can focus our minds on your might and care and see them as being greater than Satan's potential harm to us. Thank you that the devil is a caged lion. Lord, bless us as we consider these things. We've had a great time, a meaningful time together in worship. We've gathered around your table. We've sung your praises. We've given and invested in the cause that cannot fail. We've been encouraged, lifted up, challenged by your word, taught by your word. Lord, help us not to be average garden variety people when we leave the building. Help our lives to require a supernatural explanation. Not so people will be impressed with us, but rather that they will be impressed with our Savior, who is mighty, who is caring, and who is the source of all grace. Lord, we would live in your victory while facing opposition, right in the middle of the fiery furnace, as did Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Thank you, mighty, caring God of grace. Amen.